HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Bresnitz. Hope everyone out there is staying safe, staying sane, taking care of yourself, taking care of each other. It's uh, almost fall here. The sweaters are being unpacked. The rain is starting to fall. Even here in Los Angeles, we have some gray skies. It is very cozy times. We are honored to be sitting down with Alex Fanouf and Or Amsalam, the co-owners and operators of Lodge Bread Company, Foolproof Pizza, and Hasiba. We talk about their journey into making bread in their backyards, the rise of bread culture in Los Angeles, and expanding into pizza and hummus, and how they've become a neighborhood shop for all things carbohydrates. It's really great, really fun, a really great look into partnership and relationships from two guys who just love bread. And then we dig into the archives to hear a great R&B, jazz, pop, special blend of music from the one and only Mia Gladstone. It's a really great, just fun Sunday, easily listening music. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snack Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Baby, I grow like a flower, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby, I grow like a flower. I'm like the sweetest of sour. I got the flow like a shower. Come pick my brain for an hour. Finical love or power. I hold my ground like a tower. Finical, I empower. I came to stay. I'm no coward. I'm so divine like universal love. Oh. I'm so divine like universal love I get bigger and stronger I fear my passion, no other Couldn't lose, I'm a lover I tell the truth but I stutter Know what to choose, I don't hover No, 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 no Oh yeah, yeah No, 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 no 
Alex and Orr, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much for, you know what, I won't even say you're taking time out from work. I assume that you have massive amounts of loaves just proofing and rising. So you're like fitting <laughs> us in to uh, your, your yeah, very I mean, busy, busy day. The, the, the ship wouldn't sink if we, uh, if we were away from it for a minute. So no worries. That, <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I'm a fan of your bread. I'm a fan of what you guys have been doing over the years. And what I love about your story, it's so interesting because it's played out so much in the last year and a half of people realizing they had a, a side passion or a hustle, even working within the food business. Like, oh, I really like doing this. But that was actually your origin, original story of how you got started back in 2014, 2015. Um, what drew you to bread, especially during that time in LA? Cause even that now is like such a standard thing. Like, Oh, I make great bread in LA, but you know, seven, eight years ago, not so much. Alex, you want to take this one? <laughs> I can take this one. <laughs> yeah, we, um, there was some half decent bread floating around, but you're right. There weren't any notable brick and mortars like we had, um, in other parts of the country, obviously the bigger cities, uh, San Francisco had had them for quite some time and New York had had them for quite some time. And the South was kind of popping off and, um, North Carolina had already kind of had, had a couple great bakeries open that some eyes were on in the baking scene, but, or and I were still in a bit of a rut with chef jobs when mm. we met and we were a bit burnt out. That obviously was a ways before the pandemic, but, you know, we've gone through a couple troughs in the food service industry, um, post 9-11 hurt, and then the mm -hmm. um, economic disaster of 08 really hurt, but we had stuff kind of popping up. 07, fine dining kind of died. I mean, there was some stuff that happened in our time, in our cooking careers that had already been a little bit of bruisers. So we were a bit burnt out. I think when, when we met in 2014, we were kind of at a dead end job or had started making bread at home. And he said, Oh, we should make bread at work via a couple serendipitous occurrences. Like he had gone to Israel to see some family and left Ooh. his, left his starter with me to feed, which is a little bit of a, a bait and switch because obviously he came back and was like, oh, yeah. well, the, the starters at work. We might as well make bread here. But we started making bread at <laughs> a little dive that we were working at. And um, the bread, we, we, it was kind of a nice avenue to put new dishes on the menu with bread, you know, tartine this or a side of bread. It was just kind of like out of boredom and lack of uh, things to put on the menu that we we're like, this would be awesome to have on the menu. But the loaves started selling outright whole from the front of, 
from the front of the restaurant, but with no fancy facade, no pop-up, no uh, bread display, nothing like that. So it um, it kind of stemmed from uh, it kind of stemmed from just uh, is that is that you breathing into the mic or is that someone else? Wind gustiness? That's not. It was always heavy. it was always heavy breathing. It's fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, so we were like, "Wow, this bread's selling, and we don't have to work this these these crummy line cook jobs." As it seems, if this bread just sells, mm-hmm. so we quit our jobs, and we they weren't huge jobs to quit. You know, but it was a bit it was a little scroungy back then. <laughs> The jobs weren't great. I mean, even the chef jobs weren't great that I remember in, in 2014. But, um, I don't, you know, all the complaints that have come up nowadays and the things that have come to light, they were things we were living with for decades, right? It's not like you were going to leave, like, you never had, like, a super high-paying chef job even. So, it wasn't. It didn't take too much of a nudge for us to be like, well, we can quit our jobs and just try to try to do something. But as things progressed and we kind of lined some things up, the ideas changed, the ideas modified, were modified. Right, because it's one thing to make bread out of your backyard and sell a couple loaves. It's quite another thing to turn it into a business. What were the steps that you took to make it something real? Yeah, we. I mean, we did sell bread out of the backyard. We When we started the business, we set up uh, – pretty bootleg bakery in Alex's backyard, uh, under a carport. Uh, we ran gas lines exposed. We ran water lines, set up an oven and a kitchen sink. And we were selling bread to, I think like eight local restaurants, pretty notable ones too. Like our friends were, were chefing at and nobody really knew where it was coming from. And we didn't want to tell anybody where it was coming from. And yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. So yeah, we, people, (laughs) People definitely questioned us for a little bit because they didn't know where the bread was coming from. Yeah, I mean, the idea of backyard baking and selling it to be an actual restaurant, um, again, normal today, but crazy back then. Were you making all of your connects through just word of mouth or other people who knew the industry? Or was it just, hey, I'm going to drop off a couple of loaves? Like, what was the sort of that early day hustle grind to get your bread out into the world. We had, we had several friends, um, like I said, that were running restaurants at the time. Uh, so that, that really helped. Um, and then we kind of not really cold call, but we, we would take bread to restaurants and just do tastings with chefs and everybody loved the bread. So, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty easy. It was, yeah, it was full, it was full grind. I mean, it wasn't like, uh, we thought there might be a few handouts, but even our like chef, chef buds that were really running places. I mean, it was like, there wasn't a whole lot of trust there. It was like, well, you're going to have to come in and do a, a full length tasting. And I mean, it was a grind I mean, we, to go in with like every single loaf, you know, we could possibly bake and not Ooh. screw it up and then pull off a tasting and then pull off consistency. And we were baking seven days a week. And so it was kind of, there wasn't, I, I don't really remember there being much leeway. And sometimes we would totally screw it up or sometimes we'd totally cancel or, um, I mean, it was a grind to get like a dozen clients. Um, but most of them stuck with us 
for quite some time. To get back to your original question, though, when we originally discussed it, I think in a perfect world or if things had lined up um, in a in a different way, which I'm, I think we're both glad it didn't. We we really thought, okay, we want to we want to leave this restaurant and we like bread and we want to open up our own place together. We think we'd make a good team. Right. We did land on bread cafe breakfast spot. We narrowed it down to that just out of like, we thought, well, there's only so much money we could pull scrounge together. Like we can't go open a restaurant. We, sure. we, we had been doing that. We knew what that costs. It was astronomical in, in our minds. And we, and we just kind of thought like, where do we, where do we go? We got to make money. We got to be smart about it. We got to We got to attack something with, with good margins. Um, you know, we knew we couldn't like kind of do a, a random food pop up. I mean, we, you know, we, we did keep it focused in the bread world because we were passionate about it, but also it, it looked like a, uh, avenue for success. You know, it, we could keep it small enough. We could stay focused. It could be artisanal. We could find a little niche, but besides a couple mentors, you know, we didn't have too many people that were like, don't do this, do this. We just were kind of like, what's the, what's the path of least resistance to, to get our own place open, brick and mortar, brick and mortar, brick and mortar, brick and mortar. You know, the whole time we were grinding in the backyard, we were though unequipped financially, we were looking at places to lease from day one, kind of trying to attack that dream. So, you know, it wasn't so much like let's do a bakery in the backyard. Um, and sell bread period. And just kind of see where it goes. We were like, we don't, we don't want to be in this backyard, but we'll definitely, let's definitely grind this out to kind of get, get, get the stepping stones moving, um, in the, in the right direction. But our minds were kind of in, in the way of like, let's do something. Let's, let's get to, get to a small cafe as fast as possible so we can try to open our own place. You know, brick and mortar was kind of on the, on the burner the whole time. I want to get to that jump from the backyard to brick and mortar in a second, but um, how did you two decide that you guys would be good partners together? Because essentially you decided to leave, albeit maybe not the most lucrative or, or dream job in the culinary space, but really take a risk. Um, what made you trust each other to take that risk together? We, I mean, we had known each other for what only like five or six months before we yeah. decided to to work together. Wow. Um, I, I was, I Alex had just moved from San Francisco. I was kind of trying to open my own thing before that job, and I was doing some private chefing at the time, so I was like hungry for something else. Um, and I think one day we were just we had like a really annoying service, and I I asked Alex, I was like, "What do you you know What do you want to do like in the future?" And he said he wanted to open a cafe, and I was just like, "All right, let's do it. Let's uh, let's do it. Quit your job, I'll quit my job, and and we'll make it happen." And I think it was like the next day he showed up at my house. He's like, "I quit, so let's." let's do it. So I was like, all right, great. I mean, we worked well in the kitchen, so we, we knew it would work. Um, we were just tired of busting our ass for, you know, for somebody else and not being able to enjoy our, our day to day, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because, I mean, look, baking bread is not easy. It's one thing to put up a loaf or two at home every once in a while, but to consistently put that out, which is in some cases the first taste of food that someone's going to get at a restaurant. Like oh, yeah, they're going to put sure. that on the menu. What, um, what gave you that confidence? Because you're saying open up, open up your, your dining experience uh, with us. And, you know, when the feedback started coming in, because it sounds like there wasn't just a, hey, cool, you guys are selling bread. Like, how did you take those early days of feedback and go like, you don't know what you're talking about? Like, I, you know, you actually are trying to help us get a better product. Yeah, I mean, we we got the early days of feedback at the restaurant that we were working at at the time. I mean, we went through a lot of different stages mm. of the bread. Um, when it really clicked was when customers started buying bread from the kitchen before eating dinner. Or, you know, they would finish their dinner and they would come up to the, the pass and ask for if it was possible to buy a loaf of bread. Um, we kind of started also making the mm. menu over there very bread heavy. And, and you know, we we tried to use the bread for any dish possible. So we were, we were already, um, you know, getting, getting that feedback. And then we just, you know, decided to take that step and say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to just make bread for as many people as possible until we can open our, our own, uh, our own little cafe. I mean, and we had been cooking for a long time. So we, we were, we were pretty confident in our, in our product. Listen, we're going to take a quick little break because I want to talk about going from backyard to brick and mortar, uh, what you learned from that, what you continue with you today, and then um, eventually talk about uh, um, Hasiba, Foolproof Pizza, and also some of the music that you like to listen to when you're just, you know, in that in that doze zone. Uh, we have another song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on HRN.org.
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are with Alex and Orr, the co-owner operators of Lodge Bread Company. And before the break, you talked about from day one getting into a brick and mortar um, out of the backyard or out of someone else's you know restaurant. What was what was that jump? What made you finally feel confident to say we're going to take on a rent? We're going to take on uh, a possible bad HVAC system. We're going to get these ovens that we're going to own. You know, what made you say like, all right, let's do this. Let's go all in. And did you feel that you had to at the time? Did you feel that like you couldn't keep just doing it out of your backyard or some just commissary um, that you really need to have a storefront? I mean, yeah, everything was everything was starting to crumble in the backyard. We were, we were a year, a year in the <laughs> backyard kitchen. And, and we, not only were we falling apart, but the, the kitchen itself was falling apart. So I think it was a necessary change. Um, we had been looking for a space for about six months. And I mean, we were working with some pretty bougie uh, real estate brokers that just did not want to listen to us when we said we didn't have a budget for a space in Silver Lake or a space in West Hollywood or, you know, a space in Beverly Hills. Like they, they were like pitching us these crazy locations that we just were like, there's no, there's no way. And we made the mistake of signing Mm. an exclusive with them. So we were stuck at the time that we finally could get out of that deal. We just drove around and uh, we found, you know, a, a small space that had like a little, a little sign on it that said office for rent. It was, uh, it's the Culver City space that's, that was uh, about two minutes away from Alex's house at the time. And we called, we met the landlord. We thought it was perfect. The rent was perfect for us. And we just kind of went for it. Um, we took a couple family loans. We built the space ourselves with like two or three other guys. And we got it wow. open within like four or five months. And we, I mean, we were pretty nervous. We did not, you know, we didn't like have this like master plan. We just said, we're going to make some bread for some local restaurants. And if we get some, some retail and dine in like, great, that'll be an additional, uh, you know, form of revenue for us. But we envisioned everything going out the back door and we envisioned doing a bunch of wholesale. But I mean, that quickly changed right when we opened the door. I mean, then we got inundated with locals and you know people who had been following us online i mean alex we had a pretty big following when we opened we had like i think like ten thousand followers online and when we had opened the shop just from our backyard bakery i mean if you want to yeah yeah we had some we had some great people behind us i mean the the backyard bakery was at um our architect's house um not like a fancy house or anything by any means, but enough space for us to do it by Marina Del Rey. And um, they put together our, our plans for us. And, you know, we had like a great produce purveyor that had us on like ridiculous terms and Nikki and Keith Justo were like really guiding us in the right direction on getting flour and you know there were like plenty of people that were like kind of like yo if you if you guys are serious like they had our back it felt like a lot of people had our back so you know they they not uh, you can fail 
obviously at any time. And we did in, in a lot of ways, but we did have, um, you know, like we, t- we had told people, Hey, they were doing this. And so I was like, Oh yeah, cool, cool story. And then the next week you're like, Hey, we're, we're really doing this. Like <laughs> we need like, we need like two pallets of flour and just be like, oh, okay. Yeah, guys, for sure. Like what's going on. And then like call like the next week. It's like, no, we weren't like, we want the flour right now at this address. Yeah. We're opening a place we're like, Oh God. Okay. Like I'll be there. Like we used to like just get tons of visits and, and, uh, you know, we are like heavily supported by some great mentorship, um, that I think also pushed us just to kind of keep going, you, you know, even though our, our head was in the sand some days, it was like, just keep going. Like, Oh, you, you know, had a lot of like, I think it was just like right time, right place for like some of the people that were helping us out. And we didn't have like, like, or said like anything bougie, you know, we had like a really scrappy construction crew. Like they just, I don't know. There's, it was just kind of balls to the walls. Like, Oh, rip one of the walls out to shove an oven in and do this. Like none of it was like well-documented. Like we weren't like trying to, trying to get famous on Instagram, like no video, like no fancy this, no fancy that. It was kind of like, I mean, yeah, like we framed up the bathroom ourselves. Like, (laughs) yeah, we did all the tile ourselves. Like it was just like, we were, we didn't really have anything else to do or lose. So, you know, we were very like attached to the project. It, It was kind of like, I don't know if somebody said like, "Do you think this is going to fail?" We'd be like, "How do you how do you spell that?" Like we don't know. Like I, which is just this, we're, yeah. we're doing we're doing this and it's going to work. And if we have to stand in the place for five years because there's no customers, we'll just stand in the place for five years. And we really were. It was an operation that had three employees for the first eighteen months. So it's it wasn't like uh, mm. we, we had already done all the openings. You know, we had done all the openings for restaurant groups. We had done the the mass we'd done the big 350 seaters we'd done the 100 seaters we'd done fine dining we'd done the openings we've been a part of, of places closing you know we had a pretty big repertoire of okay how do we bare bones this how do we bootstrap every single thing so that if that if the bootstrap fails it doesn't fall far it's not a it's not a hard fall if a if a if a if a smaller purchase fails like rather rather fail on a few small purchases than fail on just one gigantic yeah. one. Um, then again, you know, I think we were paying stuff back and going into debt and putting stuff on credit cards for a year. You know, it wasn't like we really bootstrapped every single we thing. Still do that. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of stuff we still bootstrap like we were opening our first place. Yeah. I mean, but you know, the great thing about having a bakery is that it becomes a staple in someone's life. It's like this is the place where we get bread as a family. This is the place where we get pastries and things like that. And yeah. it sounds like you've, from the get-go, at least ingratiated yourself to the community. Um, that has got to help because, you know, there's some meals or some places that I love, but I go, I'm not eating there every week. I'm not going yeah. there every week. But you guys have a, a, a loyal following. Um, but you've also seen – the perception of bread and bread making and, and what can be like that in LA grow at the same time you've grown your business. How have you seen that ingratiation to community and the growth of bread perception in LA, you know, grow together at the same time? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've always been very, very community uh, minded. I mean, we, we're, we are always at the restaurant, you know, from day one and all the locals, you know, we're very friendly and we, we, we wanted to make a good relationship because, you know, we were serving that community. We didn't want to pretend to be, uh, you know, 
like I said, some bougie West Hollywood bakery um, in West Culver City. We 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 cater to our community. Mm. I mean, no matter where we go. So whether it's the music we play or the items we offered on the menu. I mean, when we opened, we only had like five toasts on the menu and a couple pastries. It wasn't like uh, it wasn't like the menu that we have now. But yeah, I mean, I think it was just the atmosphere that we created that was very welcoming to anyone. Um, and everybody was very interested. Yeah. Like you said, in bread at the time. So it was, I think the right time for us to open that, that bakery. Cause yeah, bread has just become like this new big thing. And, and, and people got to watch us make bread. They got to watch us bake the bread. We were, I mean, it was open. The kitchen was completely yeah. open. You could see every aspect of the process. So that was also a big drawing factor for people. They could sit down, have a toast and, you know, watch Alex and I shape bread for 45 minutes. So I think that was also Amazing. a big part in the success. The vibe was very uh, crucial to to our success. Um, I mean, we played loud music. We yelled at each other and customers sometimes. So, you know, it was like a, a fun experience for people. What yeah. was the soundtrack? <laughs> lots of reggae. Lots oh. of reggae at first. Um, a lot of the, the dead. Um, mostly a lot Ooh. of a lot of reggae at first. I mean, we were there from like 2 a.m. until 8 p.m. So it was basically... <laughs> what we could listen to all day yeah, without gotcha. wanting to kill each other. I, yeah, I was going to yeah. say it was kind of like an old, like kind of like an old school vibe. I mean, I think I'm sure somebody could check us at, at any point that, you know, there's been times where we're not like the most humble, but I, I think, I think we had humble roots cause it's all we really had. We were exhausted every single day and it was almost like walking by an old school, restaurant anywhere in in the world like you know i think if customers walked in the back way because you you know our parking lot's open like or and i were probably smoking out back <laughs> like we weren't like we looked like we were like we were like totally defeated almost every day and exhausted and if we weren't smoking a bowl out back we were smoking cigarettes out back and like waving to customers like i don't think we didn't really have much of a persona like it was just kind of like hey like we're exhausted and we're working and like if you stop in our cafe and grab something great, but like, we're just kind of like, we probably just kind of look like dirtbags and smell like cigarettes for at least the first year. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I, I guess that going back to the point of like the locals, like we weren't trying to be anything beyond just like, I don't know, like playing like mm, I got blue, co- blue collar folk in a way. Like we were just kind of like, Hey, we're grinding it out here. We got nothing to hide. Like there's no, there's no fancy facade. Like I don't think anybody came in our, our, our uh, business in the first year and thought like, Oh, these guys have endless budget. And like, they're trying to be way too fancy and this is beyond gentrified. And I mean, we already knew we were like (laughs) coming into a very old, you know, a neighborhood that had been around forever. It had gone through many iterations. I mean, a bunch of the stuff on that block that, that we were used to kind of stopping at or checking out 10 years before had been bulldozed and, um, it was kind of like dirt lots around us and stuff kind of like you could tell stuff was like about to be bought and sold. And it was kind of a time when the neighborhood was changing a little bit, but I, you know, our, our space, I, I think our little space was still scrappy and we were really scrappy. So I don't think we, we didn't really have much to represent other than our, the raw versions of ourselves. So I think our local clientele really latched to that. Um, 
to to a to a degree or or in a in a pretty big way because it was all we had to offer. We didn't have anything fancy to offer in essence. You know, we didn't open with a big menu and open with a big drink menu and we just didn't Ooh, we didn't have the capability. So I I don't think we had like I don't think anybody could say like we came out came out swinging trying to be like disingenuous in any way. We were just like we were who we were. Amazing. Well, you've expanded since then, though. You have uh, Hasiba, and now you have Foolproof Pizza. What mm-hmm. finally made you want to get, I don't know if I want to say a little bit more fancy, but do something a little bit more um, traditional and offering as far as not just a bakery, but as far as food service, restaurant vibes, <laughs> things like that. Um, when did you feel confident to expand, and what made you want to go in these two directions? Well, when we, we first expanded Lodge to be um, more of like an, uh, a two-meal cafe rather than just a bakery that offered a couple toasts, um, that mm-hmm. happened before anything. That happened um, like a year and change after we opened. We took the space that was connected to our space. Our neighbors left and we jumped on the opportunity to, to snag it uh, just because – you know, we, we, we are chefs, uh, originally. And so we thought adding a food aspect would, would definitely, um, be beneficial to us and, and, and the neighborhood and the community. And then once we did that, we had several other opportunities come up. Um, Hasiba was, a, a failing restaurant at the time. And, and one of my father's friends was the landlord. So he approached us about taking the space and it just Ooh. wasn't the right kind of space for a bakery uh at the time so we decided to open a, a hummus falafel shop which was something that we've always wanted to do because we were making hummus and pita at the time so we figured why not just sure you know uh honor my family we named it after my grandma and we just you know opened a, a small small hummus restaurant it was just kind of like a um it wasn't like a planned thing it was just an opportunity that came up that we we just went with and then foolproof uh was based off of our i don't know if you're familiar but when we opened we had a a pizza night every sunday and it was mm-hmm. uh no i remember yeah so it was pizzas baked out of our deck oven so they were a lot a lot different than than a neapolitan style pizza it was like a crispy uh, crispy bottom pizza um when we expanded we we started doing neapolitan so alex and i both really missed that other style of pizza and we said once we moved all of our baking into our commissary facility we'll start making pizza out of that oven again and so that's how foolproof kind of was mm. born and now with with the uh, the pandemic and everything, there's a lot more opportunities. So we we took over a couple of second gen restaurants, and we're going to be opening them hopefully in the coming coming months. We have a couple of foolproof pizzas in, in the works. Um, you know, I got to ask because the parallels between a bakery becoming someone's go to place every week. Pizza is one of those places where you could order that for yourself or for the family every week. What's the goal or the plan to get people to make foolproof their their weekly pizza spot? Yeah, I mean that's always the goal, right? You want we we we've worked in so many restaurants and we've seen what works and what doesn't work, you know, and 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 we're very uh, aware of the fact that people in LA, especially, are not going and eating mm-hmm. at 
fine dining establishments every week, twice a week, three times a week. They come to, you know, no frills eateries several times a week. They, that, that's what the, what they make their regular spot, like a bakery or a cafe or a pizza shop. So that's how we want to grow our business. And that's how we feel like we will be more successful. Uh, I mean, we could easily open, you know, a dinner only, uh, higher end establishment, but it just doesn't really, doesn't really fit our model. We want to do something that people can come and enjoy multiple times a week. And that's just, you know, I mean, Alex is, yeah. To a center or explanation uh, to to into an answer form, the pizza places, the foolproofs are going to harken back to like um, less of a like look at how badass my pizza is. Um, we just want it to be the best pizza possible and hyper approachable. Like the bigger spots are going to have arcade games in them. Um, they're going to be bring your family, bring the kids. Um, and get a bunch of pies for your birthday party or come after school and grab a slice, like very family friendly, very, um, like old school, like back, back to our childhood pizza spot and, and, and kept simple and fun. Not, not trying to like go overboard with like the craziest, most unique named after something or another pizza game, like just, this is a great pepperoni pizza. That's it. So we're hoping that that, you know, that's the, that's the, uh, the vision that comes to life for the pizza spots. We just want to make good food that people enjoy. Our families enjoy. Amazing. Well, listen guys, I can't thank you enough for taking the time, uh, to sit down and chat with me. Um, if people want to check out any of the restaurants, where can they go? Where can they find more info? Where can they order? Yeah, so you can go to uh, lodgebread.com or what is the full fullproofpizza.com, fullproofpizza.com, hasibarestaurant.com, or on and, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, Instagram or search any of the any of the delivery apps. Yeah, we're all over. We're all the all the normal Amazing. stuff. If you if you can't eat at Lodge Bread is the the most popular email to send questions to. Amazing. Uh, well, listen, thank you guys. Congratulations. Looking thank forward you to coming. having some more p- pizza and hummus and bread with you guys because uh, it's just so good. We have another song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes and then a live performance on hrn.org.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. This is Jeet. I am here in the studio with Mia Gladstone. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you so much. How was it getting here? I heard the L train was a bit of a bitch. Yeah. Are we allowed to curse on here? Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was really annoying. Um, I like got. I thought I left enough time because I got to Penn Station super early. And then I like got to the train and it was like, it'll be here in 20 minutes. Oh, where are you coming so, from? I come from Jersey. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah me too. Re- you, where? Jersey City. Jersey. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're more at like a more communal place. I'm in South Orange. So oh, it's like, yeah. You got like go to transit. Wait. You're so just, you got to get to yeah New Jersey Transit to Penn Station. It's so annoying. Yeah, and then. Oh my god! How annoying. Yeah, but it's like just <laughs> it's just short enough to still be doable, but long enough to be like the most annoying, re- most repetitive thing in the Jeez. world. But you're here. I'm here, and that's what's important. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so how did you get into music? I've been doing music forever. Like, it's just innate within me. Like, it's my number one thing that I do. Like, were you um, around musical family members or? Yeah, like my my dad, I guess I just grew up surrounded by music. Like, it was was always something that we were listening to. And um, what kind of music? Well, my dad, like all kinds. My dad really liked like classic rock, like (laughs) suburban white dad. Like all dads do. (laughs) It's like the classic (laughs) rock. And then my mom really liked Kanye, and she liked she liked more of the hip hop kind of stuff. Wow, interesting. Um, Yeah, it was a very interesting mix. And then I guess like I I kind of found my style because my dad gave me an MP3 player when I was Mm -hmm. like six, and he just loaded hundreds of songs onto it. Yeah. And I gravitated towards like Stevie Wonder, Lauryn Hill. Steely Dan, nice. Like David Bowie. That's pretty eclectic. Yeah, it's like all kind of all over the place. So, how did you get from listening to all these different kinds of influences and then starting to write your own music? Like, where did that start? Well, I started writing music when I was like six or seven. Wow, that's, that's young. <laughs> it was yeah. Well, because I I asked my dad to teach me piano when I was seven, and so he started. He didn't know how to play piano. Wait, do your parents play music at all? My dad always played guitar growing up. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. Um, but. But, so I asked him to teach me piano or get me piano lessons, and he was mm-hmm. like, "Well, I don't really want to pay for lessons, so I'm gonna f- I'm gonna learn piano myself, and I'm gonna teach you." <laughs> so, so he like learned piano online, and then he just taught me. And I don't know how to read music or anything. Like I kind of just learned the notes and the That's chords. That's a pretty kick-ass dad. Pretty kick-ass, yeah. I'm I'm so grateful because yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. And like the second I was able to play piano, like chords and stuff, that's like when I was able to actually put my, all my ideas into song. So yeah, around when I was seven, I guess. Wow, very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So you get into music at around six or seven, and you start writing music around that time too? Yeah, because so in second grade, like I had this school talent show, and Mm -hmm. I was 
originally I was like, I guess I'm just going to play a song and sing on piano. And like, I didn't know what I was going to play, but then I just ended up writing a song and that's what I performed. <laughs> An original composition yeah. for a talent show? That's amazing. Yeah. And then it just became this thing that every year I would do the talent show and I'd always have songs for that. So it was like a big motivator. So in when did you music. start recording these ideas? Recording? I think the first time I really recorded was when I was in fifth grade. Because mm-hmm. um, my dad, he, he he had like a recording setup and stuff Oh my at God, home. your dad is like... My dad is my... <laughs> all-round <laughs> he engineer. He helped me so much. <laughs> he engineered the session. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's so cringy though when I look back on it because like... I, like, I heard the recording many years later, and my voice was so, like, shrill and undeveloped, obviously, as, like, a fifth grader, and, but it's, like, still on the harmonies and stacks that I do now, just, yeah, like, yeah. a little kid voice. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot, but... um, It really laid the foundation, I assume. It really did, yeah. Like, I was like, wow, I can... And also, I think it was... Back in the day, like, it wasn't, like... I would record an idea like bit by bit. It was like I had to write the whole song before mm. I would record versus now like my process is very broken up. Like I'll start with the beat. I'll do a little bit of the beat. I'll do some vocals over it and I'll like build off of it little by okay. little. So I feel like having that foundation of the discipline of making the whole song was really good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I kind of want to get back to that because I feel like I was a better songwriter when I could just oh, do that. Oh, that's fascinating. I definitely yeah. want to talk about that more, but yeah. let's move into a song. What let's are you going to perform first for us? Okay, so the first song I'm going to do is called My Tits Grow in the Winter. Love the title. Thank you. <laughs> it's a song about body dysmorphia. <laughs> um, and yeah, that it's a, just a short little snippet. When I'm talking to you, yeah. baby, can you tell me how to feel? Do you love me as much as you say? How do you really know what you mean? Baby, tell me what pops in your brain when you see the image of me in your face. Yeah, tits grow in the winter. It throws me out of center. Yeah, my tits grow in the winter. It throws me out of center. Yeah, yeah. I be looking in the mirror There's this bitch she's staring back I never see her I'm always so confused Why she always seems to pop up in my view I don't know her Tits grow in the winter It throws me out of center Yeah, my tits grow in the winter It throws me out of center Yeah, so let's talk about your new single geekin let's talk about it yeah i dropped it super recently um it's a self-produced track so you did everything i did everything you made the beat i did you recorded your voice Mm -hmm. and i got my my boy cicero is featuring on it wow very cool thank you yeah that song should i talk about how it like yes absolutely Cool. Um, well, I made it for my splice pack originally. Nice. So I had to make like a sample beat for it. So the beat is also comprised of like my vocals. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. what I sampled. And um, bas- basically, I had to go to DC to record this video for Splice. And then my boy Cicero is from DC. So I was going to have him hop on the beat. Um, and yeah, so we like did this whole thing, this whole video. And then I really liked how the song came out, but I kind of slept on it. And then. Maybe like six months later, I came across it and I was like, hmm, 
I should finish this song. <laughs> so we just ended up finishing the song, and it was like a very, it was like a family production because it was recorded and engineered by Owen, who who's at Beyond Studios in DC. Mm-hmm. And um, then he ended up mixing it at the end, too. And it was just like a DMV production, the whole thing, because we recorded it there, too. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So this is kind of like what you were saying before, where the songwriting is kind of in pieces. And funny enough for Splice, which is, (laughs) if anybody doesn't know, is uh, where you find beats. Yeah. Basically. Um, But you said that you want to start trying to go back to writing full-fledged songs. Well, yeah, just to challenge myself a little more, because... In this like new era I'm in in my career, I've been producing everything myself. Mm. And so it, it's become this thing where I'm like, okay, well, to get the, the baseline started, like I'll just make the beat mm-hmm. and then I'll do my part and then I'll be like, oh, I'll add this to the beat rather than like, it's not like I make the full beat first, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's, it's a constant building block. Do you feel things. like anytime like it's too much to be able to have to do everything? Do you feel like there's too much on your shoulders? Um, no, well, not really, because it's, it was, like, completely my choice to do this, mm-hmm. because I wanted to kind of reverse the roles, and I found when I first got into the industry, <laughs> of I was like, I was like, oh, I guess now I'm just a singer, and so I'm gonna have to, like, sing over beats that other people make and do all this shit, mm. and then I realized I don't have to do that at all, and you I can, can take actually, more control. I can right. take control and take the power back, and... It's been it's been super empowering and rewarding to produce everything myself and especially continuing to reverse the roles by like featuring rappers on my tracks that I produce. It feels really good. It sounds like you are your father's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that I am. That's amazing. <laughs> That's really cool. Thank um, you. So did you said you make a you say you make a made a music video for this? Yes. Song? Yeah. So what was that process like? Well, that was amazing. It hasn't come out yet. We're like, I'm Ooh, super very excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, we shot it. It was, I'm trying to think like, so it was originally supposed to be in one day, like, mm-hmm. and Cicero came from DC for this shoot. Wow, and then basically cool. like last minute where we were supposed to film all this green screen, green screen stuff, they like flaked on us. And I had done this really elaborate makeup and I had so much shit with me and we had to, we had to reschedule it and Cicero had to go home. So I had to like bring him back the next week and it was like, oh my God, it was so stressful, but now I'm so happy that we did it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because everybody around me was kind of like, I don't know if it's worth it for you to do a video for this song. Like it's so last minute, but I was like, nah, I'm doing the video. Like. It's going to be worth it. And now I'm seeing it paying off. Like, it feels really good. And your videos are quite out there. I saw the Baby Don't Worry video. <laughs> yeah. Man, what was that like? The, the glitter. Oh, my glitter tits. God. Yeah, that was very intense. I, I don't know. Like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had done the full glitter body look before. So it wasn't, it wasn't my first time. <laughs> but it was, I definitely made a mess. Um it was like a lot to clean up, a lot to put on because you have to put like a layer of baby oil first over your skin and then glitter so that the glitter sticks, you know. Uh, so it's like I see. a lot goes into see, I'm it. I'm not too familiar with glitter on the body. I don't think most people are. <laughs> yeah, it's not a very common thing. <laughs> but it was definitely fun. I felt I didn't feel naked. Like okay. walking around, I was like, I feel like I'm wearing a bodysuit right now. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I feel great. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so what uh, what are you going to sing for us next? Okay, next I'm going to sing a song called Don't Look At Me. 
And I wrote this song um, after a lot of frustrations being on the subway and people always staring at me when I'm just trying to mind my business and huh. me, me just feeling like a target as a young woman. Oh, I, oh, shout out Fresco. Steps along the street without turning hella heads. I think they're onto me. I go about my business on the screen, but they yearning for my life information on cheap. It's a beautiful day, so I don't care that you can look away, and I'ma stay back, back and forth my body and your feet. Having trouble choosing between longing and your knees. You look me up and down like I'm a tree. Thinking I don't see the way your fantasies unleash. I stare ahead so far away. So I don't meet your gaze. Beware of a lonely man. I'm not flattered, I'ma kick you to the rubble Go about my day, my vision turns into a tunnel I'ma live my life cause it's a beautiful day So I don't care that you can away And I'ma stay back oh, Very cool, very cool I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so you just uh, mentioned in the last segment that your next song, Geekin, is in the works. The music video. The music in the video works. is in the works, right? The song's done. The song's out. Mixed, mastered, out. Uh huh. On Spotify. Uh huh. Title. All, all of the above. All, <laughs> all streaming services. Yes. It is available. Um, when's the music video coming out? We're not sure. I'm supposed to get a cut of it today. Oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds exciting. I'm so excited. I keep checking my email. <laughs> Have you like what's the big difference between the first cut and the final one? Like from the well, music videos they've done in the past. Hmm. Oh, my God. It's a, I mean, it's different for every video. Is like, it like night and day or is it like it really depends? It depends on who you're working with. Like and it also depends on how clear the plan is going into it. Yeah. A lot of my videos were not very planned. <laughs> so then like in the editing process, I have no idea what to expect and I'll get mm. it back and I'll be like, okay, I like this, don't like this, but I don't know. I think I think for the Geekin video, I'm really excited to see the first cut and I have a feeling it'll be very close to the final cut nice. because um, Jisun, the, who I'm working with on it, is just incredible and like her editing skills are really She's the really director cool. or? She's the director, editor. Shout out. Yeah, she, shout out Jisun. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. So yeah, awesome. it should be really cool. So when that comes out, you'll probably do some shows? Yeah, I have a show on Thursday, actually. This Thursday? On the 19th, yeah. Whereabouts? Market Hotel. Market Hotel, you heard it here. Heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Any yeah. other shows planned after that? Um, Any tours? Tours? 
definitely in 2020. Nice. Um, to end 2019, I'm doing a show in New Jersey, my hometown, on the 30th. And then I have another show in like Montclair, which is right next to my hometown. I love Montclair. In January. Oh my God, I love Montclair. It's, a, it's such it's a, a pretty place. town. Yeah. If it wasn't so expensive, I would totally live there. <laughs> yeah, it's really fucking expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, they got, they got really good vegan food, so. So you're playing on the 30th of December? Wow, two days before New Year's. I know, that's I know. Amazing. And I'm going to Atlanta right before then. It's going to be really busy. <laughs> that's, that's a wild, wild it's way to wild. wild way to bring the new year in. <laughs> it is. Bring in the new decade. Can you oh believe this? Oh, my God. I keep tweaking about it when I think it. When I think about it, I'm like, holy shit. It's 2020. We're about to be in the roaring 20s. 2020. Jeez. We're going to thrive. We are. We're going to really do well. Excited. We're all going to do well. <laughs> I think it's going to be the last 10 years that are like livable for humanity <laughs> i don't think so i mean we'll, yeah we'll we're be, we all we'll be okay yeah we'll be fine we'll, i don't know if certain <laughs> things change we'll be fine <laughs> i guess we'll see um so uh how long have you been in the music industry per se now um i guess i i would consider like well i got out of high school like three years ago mm-hmm. and that's when i like fully immerse myself in the industry okay, so about three years right three years yeah so uh, yeah. like so the things that you really like about it and there are other things that you absolutely yeah can't stand should i talk about them let's let's do the positive the first. positive first yeah. okay um well i really love like all the collaboration and like yeah. the, just the music community it yeah. has been really incredible like <clears throat> i keep finding myself having these bursts of gratitude where i'm like wow i'm surrounded by really amazing people mm. who are like really pushing things forward and yeah yeah people i really like meeting people who aren't concerned about clout and and all the bullshit that comes with being a musician and people who just genuinely want to like connect as humans and make music that's, so that's been really amazing just who i've found myself surrounded by yeah those are um there are people like that and they're far and few but when they're there just clicks exactly yeah you meet somebody and you're like i think i've known you forever (laughs) yeah there's something so deep about whatever it is about music that really connects us like when you find that person it's like you fall in love a little bit yeah no totally you know that's what i that's also something i learned through music that like being in love doesn't have to be a romantic thing like you can just be in love like i feel like i'm in love all the time because i just (laughs) live in love that's you know what i mean that's really beautiful yeah. Well, really let's nice. switch it over. What, what do you not like? What, or what rather, what like? would you like to change about the music Okay. Industry? Well, I would love all, like, the isms to go away. Like, the sexism within music, the racism. Like, just all all the oppression that's within the industry. I found just, just as, as a woman, it's definitely been challenging. Like, ha- I have very different perspectives of people than like my male peers have like we'll be in this we'll be in a session with somebody or like we'll know somebody in common and they'll be like oh yeah he's such a cool dude like we've made amazing music together and i'll be like oh he like was extremely inappropriate with me and made me feel like an object (laughs) and it's just going back to the subway song yeah well it's it's sad it's like apparent in everything but i think in music people really get away with it because it's such it's such a casual industry it's like Mm. Because music, the, the music industry is like you're just living in the industry. Right. Um, so there's like really no boundaries. You know how in most 
industries, it's like you don't combine business and pleasure. But yeah. music is business and pleasure. And pleasure right. So it's like I would say entertainment industry. In entertainment general. industry. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So it's yeah. it's a whole lot of like unprofessional people and So hopefully the next decade will be filled with more professionalism. Yeah, and just right? being surrounded by more professionals. <laughs> more professionals who are in it for the music, not for, for the, the clout. Music. Yeah, and not for in the it sex. For the love. In it for the love. That's the most important thing. When you're moving with love, you don't have to worry about like offending people and you don't have to yeah. worry about any of that shit because totally it's all love. Speaking of sharing love, is there anybody you want to shout out? Any other artists? That oh, you're- God. Yeah. Shout out to my parents. I, I record at home like I didn't I, I moved away from home for a bit and then I've I've been back for a little while and I'm like so grateful to my parents for allowing me to transform like this office in our crib like into my studio. Big, big shout out to the parents yeah. out there. Much love. Much love. Um, where can people find you? They can find me everywhere at Mia Gladstone. Awesome. Spotify, Apple, whatever. Have it. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, so easy. Mia Gladstone. Mia Gladstone. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let's last. do the last yeah. song. This is and a song is called Grow. Uh-huh. I produced this myself. What's it about? It is about growing, baby. It's about universal love and everything that fuels my heart. Baby, I grow like a flower, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby, I grow like a flower, I'm like the sweetest of sour. I got the flow like a shower, come pick my brain for an hour. Finnickel love or power, I hold my ground like a tower. Finnickel, I empower, I came to stay, I'm no coward. I'm so divine like universal love Oh, uh oh I'm so divine like universal love Love I get bigger and stronger I fear my passion, no other Couldn't lose, I'm a lover I tell the truth but I stutter Know what to choose, I don't hover is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. 
Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.